When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car. Like cooking, but without the frozen dinner, easy way out eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as almost roulading, to cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. We're back on Brew of the Blue. It's Friday. Hope everybody's had a good weekend. Looking forward to the weekend and uh, making it what you can. I'm delighted to say joining me now for this week's Brew with a Blue is Frank McKenna, uh, the CEO of Downtown in Business. Frank, thanks very much for, for coming on and joining me. Um, are you okay? I'm good, Matt. I'm good. And th- thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, we were just talking there about how everyone's getting acclimatised with different video platforms <laughs> at the moment. And I'm, I'm quite new to Zoom. and <laughs> just trying to get it all set, set up. It's a bit of a faff, but we got there in the end. Yeah, I think uh, we're all coming to terms, aren't we, with this new technology that we're having to be we're being forced to, to use, really. Mm. Um, but, you know, out of all adversity comes positives. And I'm guessing that, you know, even when we come out of this, mm. uh, there'll be occasions when we do go back to uh, utilising the tools that we've started to adapt to. Yeah. Uh, we've done about 60, 70 video interviews over the past three or four weeks using Zoom. Uh, to be honest with you, other than a, a very bad, I think it was an 80s hit called Zoom, I've never <laughs> heard of the fucking thing before. So, you know, it's, it's all very new to me. And as you, you're aware, Matt, because of the uh, difficulties we had just linking up this morning, I couldn't describe myself as a techie, but, uh, but, I, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what I want to speak about a little bit later on, actually. But before we do, um, people who maybe might not follow you on Twitter or maybe aware of, of downtown and business, um, you've been going for 17 years now. You've been a big presence in the city. Can you just sort of tell our listeners what you what you do and, and how you got set up and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, we started. I mean, I used to be a politician, um, so got to quite a senior level. I worked in uh, Parliament for seven years. I was uh, deputy leader of Lancashire County Council, which is the biggest local authority in the company in the country. Uh, and I was uh, 
leader of something called the Northwest Regional Assembly, which was all the local councils in the Northwest, and at the time was seen as a bit of a precursor uh, to a, a parliament for the North or an assembly similar to what you have in Wales and Scotland. Um, so, you know, while my political career uh, had ran its course, um, there's not much politicians can do with themselves, Matt, really. Nobody is queuing up to employ you, to be honest. Um, so I had some consultancy contracts and a number of them were with property developers in Liverpool uh, and actually with the two football clubs who back then, so 2003, uh, were looking at developing new stadia, would yeah. you believe? Uh, and so I was working with the clubs on that. I was working with people like Iliad, who are a well-known Liverpool property development company, uh, Downings, uh, McGull Developments, Space Developments. So... Back in 2003, I mean, you look at Liverpool now, it's been regenerated. It's a fabulous city. Uh, you know, it looks great. Um, there's a buzz and a vibe about the place now. Uh, but back then, we had a planning department whose default position was no to any applications that came in. Yeah. Uh, and so, really, downtown Liverpool, as it was back in 2003, was initially established to work with property developers and planners to get Liverpool regenerated. And that was the whole idea of it. And then on the back of that, really, uh, it's developed into much more. So now we cover, you know, most of the major cities in England. Uh, we recently launched in the capital about 12 months ago. So we do that lobbying. We do that sort of link and, and engagement with the public sector on behalf of the private sector companies that we work with. And then on top of that, we, we organise lots of events where people can come together, potentially do business, but also meet face to face with some of those key decision makers. So in our city, of course, that's people like Steve Rotherham, yeah. Joe Anderson, the chief executive of the council, Tony Reeves. Uh, I think last year we organized over 200 events uh, across the country, that is. Uh, and we do awards evenings as well. So an eclectic mix really of, of activity, uh, but my principal, um, action within the business and responsibility within the business is still the political side, keeping those political links and building those, as I say, positive relationships between the public and the private sector. How has it developed in, in that time then, in, in, in the 17 years? I mean, looking at it now, when you first set this up, is it what you thought it was going to be or is it changed and evolved into something a little bit it's completely different? <laughs> Absolutely, totally different. I, I, when I set it, I mean, listen, the first thing I'll say is I never thought I'd be a businessman. You know, I, I wouldn't have dreamed that I would set my own business up. Um, so that was the first surprise, really. Um, second surprise is that I could ever employ people. Uh, and we've, got, you know, we've got 20 people across the group now, which, again, every day I wake up and wonder how that happened. Um, but then, you know, back in 2003, it was very much seen, Matt, as a Liverpool uh, business. Yeah. And I didn't have any ambition or any thought of taking the downtown brand to another city. Uh, and then we got a, a very strange approach um, from UCLAN in Lancashire and they said we, we're watching what you're doing in Liverpool it's a bit different uh, to others in your space likes of the Chamber of Commerce I suppose and, and Institute of Directors people like that um, who are very traditional in terms of their approach to the same sort of things that we do and UCLAN invited us to undertake a project with them working with up-and-coming companies and entrepreneurs and we thought well you know if the brand can be transferable to Lancashire 
then maybe we can go elsewhere as well. And then we, you know, we went to Manchester, Leeds, and, and the rest is history, so to speak. Um, but again, I'd say back in 2003, when it was initially launched, you know, two of the big pushes were, as I say, the property development side of things. So it was very much a, a club for uh, property and construction. Mm. That quickly then expanded into other uh, private sectors. So we have, you know, professional services, we have digital and tech, we have retail, we have uh, leisure and hospitality now as well. Um, but the other thing that we didn't have in 2003 was an elected mayor. Mm, yeah, and yeah. downtown were the organisation that kicked off that debate and discussion uh, and really supported the notion of cities having a figurehead who could champion what they wanted to get from central government. You know, we have a very centralised country, Matt, and, you know, for me, places like Liverpool have suffered as a result of that. Um, now, little did I know back in 2003, uh, that fast forward 17 years and Liverpool has had more mayors than it's got cathedrals. <laughs> um, of course, we've, we've got the metro mayor now yeah. as well as the city mayor. Uh, and then the civic mayor. But nonetheless, you know, Joe and Steve work very well together. We've got a combined authority that uh, operates on that strategic city region basis. But I think it's still vitally important that Liverpool uh, has a strong leader in place, a figurehead who, as I say, can make those cases for the city uh, of Whitehall and Westminster. Um, and, it, you know, I think Joe's done a good job. I know he gets, he's, had, he's had his critics. I have disagreements with Joe on a fairly regular basis mm. um, but you know by and large he's been a force for good for the city and obviously elected mayors are popping up all over the place now so so we're a bit of, ahead of our time um, but no you know the idea of networking events the idea of working with 900 companies across the country if you'd have told me that back in 2003 I'd have thought you were you were having a laugh to be honest yeah, just just on you and Joe, two Evertonians in a room together, are always going to disagree about something, aren't they? I mean, it happens on our show every single time. Every single time we do it. But I think it, it's you know, like I said, you, you, it's been a it's thrived since it was set up in two thousand and three. You've made major strides in regards to basically the mayor, with loads of different businesses. How how have you found it during the current pandemic and the lockdown and what's going on? I mean, has your role and, and what you've had to do in regards to, to downtown and business changed? Have you become a little bit more advisory? Are you getting different sorts of businesses approaching you in regards to helping out and, and advice and that sort of stuff? And do you think that's going to going to carry on after the pandemic's finished? Uh, it's a, it's a great question, actually, Matt, because I think when we first got into this. I mean, we had about a week to prepare. Um, so I'd really worked with the team in terms of getting things like Zoom and, you know, the technology side set up so that we were able to continue to operate as a business. But I think we probably did think initially that we would be that place that people will go to for some advice, for business support. And then what I quickly realized was that when you've got local enterprise partnerships, you've got local authorities, You've got these big government-backed institutions with lots of online information, lots of places where you can go to get that support and advice. And then when you realise the professional advisors, which most businesses have, whether it be a solicitor or an accountant, are saying to their client base at the moment, we'll give you this advice for free because they want those businesses to survive sure. beyond the pandemic then really it would have been a bit daft of us to step into that space because there's people who are far better at that than us 
already doing it. And the one thing that I've always said downtown should be is different, uh, distinctive from what else is out there, because otherwise there's no point of existing really. So we wanted to be complementary. And what we found was that people out there are looking for face-to-face information. They continue to have that need to meet with other people and to see what's happening. And so we've set up these events via Zoom. So we've done over 60 in the last three weeks with some great people coming on and speaking to us. Um, And I think what we've decided that our role through this is, is to stay upbeat, to stay positive, to give people a roadmap out of the, the, the situation that we're in. And also to share experiences so that people can actually look in and say, well, actually, I'm not on my own here. You know, there's lots of people going through the same sort of things. And I can't tell you how many emails the team have had just saying, thanks for that. You know, it was an hour of a conversation that I've just watched. And I feel absolutely fantastic on the back of it because it's motivated me, you know, the speaker who's been on or the information that we've been able to give. Now, of course, if you go onto our website, you'll be directed to all those places that you can get business support and advice from. But as I say, it'd be daft of us to try and replicate what others do better than us. So we've just tried to be complimentary, stay upbeat, stay positive. And then, of course, the other key thing of what we do, and I think we're better in this space than anyone else, is that we will tell decision makers, the politicians, whether it be at national or regional level, when they're getting it right, uh, but equally when they're getting it wrong. Uh, And, you know, I think that on the economic side, uh, the government and the councils that we work alongside are largely getting it right. Um, But that's because of people like us engaging with them and telling them what businesses need. So our role really has been about that, you know, telling the decision makers what businesses are saying to us, uh, but then trying to keep that upbeat and positivity uh, within the business community itself. And you must have been impressed by the way in which a lot of businesses have been able to adapt and still thrive in, in this environment as well. I mean, you know, it's not a surprise. I've you know, I've lived in the city for, for a long time now. You know, follow a lot of local businesses on Twitter. You know, always looking on the independent Liverpool page and stuff like that, trying to support local people. And it's. And while obviously it's hard times for a lot of people, and a lot of people have gone out of business, a lot of people have had to, to close, every now and then you just see something online from, from a company, a local company, it makes you just sit up and go, wow, look, I can't believe, can't believe people haven't thought of that already. And I think that's, that, that's a great thing about this area. People are innovative and find a way to adapt and thrive regardless. Yeah, well, we're a very entrepreneurial city, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that, uh, that can come to the fore in all sorts of ways, Matt. Uh, and, you know, if you go around uh, Goodison Park on a Saturday afternoon, you'll see many an entrepreneur selling yeah. the good. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's been of great benefit to Liverpool over the past few weeks because, as you rightly say, companies have adapted, they've evolved, they've found different products to produce, they've found different ways of making uh, a living. And Tony Reeves, the chief executive of the city council, we had uh, doing one of these a couple of days ago. He's a Welsh guy, is Tony, but he's, uh, he's been here two, three years now. And he said, you know, Scousers are so resilient. If we as a city can't get through this, then nobody can. Uh, and I think he's absolutely right. You know, we've taken knocks, haven't we? Um, you know, the one thing that 
we as Evertonians reminisce an awful lot about is the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that movie that was released uh, recently, Howard's Way, sort of took us back onto that uh, roller coaster of emotion as to what it was like back then. Of course, it was a great time as a football supporter in, in, in the city because Liverpool were top of the tree as well. Um, but as a city, you know, our economy was smashed to bits. Um, the government had written us off basically abandoned Liverpool and said it was a basket case, other than Michael Heseltine, there wasn't a Tory who wanted to know us. Um, and so you can quickly forget that, you know, we've come through um, some big trials and tribulations in the recent past, uh, and there's no reason, uh, I'm very confident, that, that we'll, we'll do so again. And I suppose looking forward and, and bringing this on to Everton, you know, a little bit as well, one of the things that we can speak about in our shows, we've seen a lot of coverage on in places like the Echo and stuff like that, is, is the stadium. Yeah. I suppose I've sort of been looking at this in, in, in two ways, Frank. I've sort of in my head, I've got on the positive side of it, the stadium and the project of Bramley Moor down there could be a great vehicle for the city and a great catalyst for the city to come out of this and help the city thrive, help boost the economy, all, all those sorts of things. But in the back of my mind and you know, looking at all the stuff that's going on at the moment, looking at the effect it's having on businesses, looking at the, the reports we're getting constantly about the economy potentially not recovering this from, from a long time. I am starting to get increasingly worried that this will have a, a big effect on the project. I mean, where, where do you stand with it now? Do you, do you, do you, you know, what I want to say is the project on, in jeopardy, but it, it's certainly not going to help expedite the process, is it? Mm. I think, I mean, listen, I, I'm still very confident. You know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to be involved in some of the conversations uh, at, a, at a relatively high level. Listen, I'm not pretending we've got any inside information. Yeah. You know, I haven't got a, a hotline to Mr. Mashiri uh, <laughs> and Bill Kenwright. So I, I don't know uh, if things have changed dramatically over the past few weeks. Liverpool obviously have announced that their extension that they were planning yeah. is going to be delayed. Uh, and of course, that starts hairs running. And, and again, Matt, what you and I as Evertonians know is that we've been here before, haven't we? Absolutely. We've had three goes now at getting a new stadium and all of them, for one reason or another, have fallen through. The thing that gives me a level of confidence is that unlike Liverpool, um, Everton, you know, who, you know, an extension to Anfield is a nice to have. Yeah. A new stadium for Everton is absolutely imperative if we're to meet the ambitions that the new ownership has. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is that although we can obviously see the impact that this is going to have on football as a whole, my belief is that that impact is likely to be on things such as uh, contracts and salaries for players. And I don't think that's any bad thing. I think that's long overdue. It may well have a bit of an impact on some television monies going forward. And of course, that will be factored in to any investments that owners are making. But I think if you look at the characters and the personalities that are involved in and around the club uh, and those relationships and partnerships that have been built with, let's face it, some very, very wealthy individuals, mm. I would be surprised if the stadium didn't happen. And I think on the positive side, because of the economic downturn that we're experiencing at the moment, the fact is that the city council and the government will want this project to happen as quickly as possible. 
So any daft notion yeah. that you yeah. know the heritage lobby have of taking it through to a public inquiry, which can last two years, uh, I think that's gone. So I think that's a positive. The big question now is whether there is still an appetite uh, within the ownership of Everton Football Club to develop and build that new stadium. Nothing I'm hearing from the hierarchy of the club suggests otherwise. I think that we're still on course to deliver it. And, you know, as you rightly say, Matt, that's such an important project, not just for Everton, but actually for the north of Liverpool, because it will act as a catalyst for so much more regeneration in that part of the world. And, and you know, Joe Anderson's desperate, isn't he, for that to happen? And, of course, you get daft people on his Twitter account and in the Echo, you know, oh, it's because he's a blue. It's be nothing to do with that. It's to do with the fact that he sees the potential and opportunity of a part of the city that's been left derelict for years and years now, for generations, you know, since it was an active dock. That part of Liverpool is in urgent need of attention and a new stadium, as I say, acts as the catalyst to give us an awful lot more and a bigger bang for our buck. So I'm still confident that it'll happen. I think it needs to happen for the city and it certainly needs to happen forever. Yeah, and one of the other things that gives me confidence about this still being able to go ahead is that I know you said earlier on that we've been here before as Evertonians and we have been here before in regards to stadiums and, and going down the path. I don't know if the club have ever been this far down the path when it comes to, to a stadium. You know, it feels as though the foundations here in regards to this, in regards to the surveys we've been doing, in regards to the backing of people like like, like this year when you've got the club with the USM name and deal. It feels as though they've gone a lot further down any route in regards to the stadium they have in, in any of the previous ones before. Absolutely, Matt. And I think the other difference is that there's there's virtually 100% backing as well, isn't there, from the support base? Of course, yeah. Uh, because, you know, the Kirby... St- Listen, I would have I'd have gone to Kirby because the pragmatist in me knows how desperate we are for a new stadium. Um, but I would have been going there with a heavy heart. Um, the, the, the one on the, the park, Walton Hall Park, I was never convinced that no. that was a, a genuine option, to be honest. I thought that was a bit of a flyer. Uh, and then, of course, the other waterfront project uh, was when we had clowns in charge of the club. Mm. So, uh, again, I, I, I was unfortunately quite close to people at Liverpool Vision at the time and never thought that that was a, a real uh, possibility of happening. So you're right, this is the closest uh, and also I think the one that's excited Evertonians more than any other. Uh, and it will, you know, what what a fantastic statement it will make uh, on behalf of Everton uh, to have a stadium on the Royal Blue Mersey. I mean, it's just, a, it's going to be an incredible uh, initiative. Uh, and so for, for all the reasons that you've said, Matt, uh, I think, yeah, I, I would still be uh, 90% confident that the project will happen. But listen, we're Evertonians, so <laughs> we've always got everything crossed, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Expect the worst all the time. <laughs> uh, just just sort of to, to finish off, um, you mentioned there about you know looking back at Howard's way and the club have been putting out a lot of you know on this day videos at this time of year and they tend to be from title successes and that, and that sort of stuff. They've done a few watch-alongs. Um, have you enjoyed looking back at back at all of them? Um, you mean, I mean, certainly I have. I've enjoyed the watch-alongs they've been doing of certain games. I think tomorrow they're doing the Wimbledon game, which you might avoid. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe leave that alone just for me half. But uh, certainly the stuff from the 80s, and obviously speaking to Kevin Ratcliffe yesterday, uh, it's been fascinating to watch back on. 
It is. It is fantastic. We've got a um, we've got a little uh, WhatsApp group, uh, just a, a group of mates. So uh, Andy, Steve, Chris, Chris, uh, and Nathan, and we've been doing daft things like you know, what's your worst Everton next one that you've ever seen? <laughs> the best, the best Everton eleven of foreigners. Yeah. You know, all those sort of daft things that you've got time to do during a lockdown. But of course, during those conversations, you're reminiscing, uh, and Steve and I. Uh, the first season that we both watched Everton was 69-70. So, you know, that ball, Kendall Harvey, yeah. uh, was was the first team that, that we watched. Now, I was obviously only uh, a, a, a small child at the time, going along with my dad, and the, the, the memories are vague. Um, but you do remember certain games. I remember us going to Anfield uh, and beating Liverpool 2-0. I remember the game under the floodlights against West Brom. And then, of course, we went through that period in the 70s where everybody says, oh, it was a disaster. It was terrible. Everton were crap. And um, I'm going to do a bit of name dropping here, Matt, if you don't mind. It's absolutely fine. Uh, yeah. I, I, through, through a member in Birmingham, um, I've managed to get into contact with Bob Latchford. Oh, brilliant. Bob, of course, during the 70s was, was, was the player. At Everton, he was you know, he scored, yeah, he scored 30 goals first centre forward to do it for, for ages. He won 30,000 pounds in a competition that had been set up for the centre forward who could do that. And Bob and I were talking about that team in 74 75 that came very close to winning the first division title, and it was actually two defeats by Carlisle United, uh, who were relegated that season that cost us the league. And he said a very interesting thing to me, Bob, which I'd never considered before. He said, if Gordon Lee would have been the manager in 1974-75 rather than Billy Bingham, we'd have won the title. Yeah. And I said, why yeah. do you say that, Bob? He said, because he had a different sort of mentality. And, and he sort of reflected, Bob, to say that even though Gordon was able to build some great teams, and we did see some great football, you know, Dave Thomas flying down the wing, Bob sticking the ball in the back of the net every time he got it in front of the goalpost, it seemed. And we had Martin Dobson in midfield. We, you know, we had some great, great players. I think the two things that stopped us from winning the title at that time is, firstly, Liverpool were so good. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they were a great, great side. And Bob Paisley was a genius of a manager, very underrated, in my opinion. And secondly, uh, Gordon Lee was denied the opportunity of signing Peter Shilton because oh, the really? owners... Yeah, yeah, the owners said to, to Lee, um, no goalkeepers worth £300,000. Wow. And of course, Brian Clough went and got them and they went on to win the league in the European Cup as well. So, you know, although the 70s was a bit of a desolate time, um, we actually did see some opportunity there and some good football. And of course, nowadays, that team would have been regular, uh, regular competitors in the Champions League. Um, but then, of course, the golden era, uh, and it was too short-lived, was the 80s and that mid-80s side. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to just be at the right age where you could go home and away, you could watch the team, yeah. you could see all of the fantastic things they achieved. And when I seen your interview with, uh, with Rat yesterday, you know, it's always lovely to see those guys. And again, Matt, you'll have been at St. George's Hall, I'm sure, for the Howard's Way uh, premiere. And, you know, that team, you can understand why they were so successful because they get together now and they're like a big bunch of kids, aren't yeah, they? Absolutely. You know, you've got yeah. Andy Gray and Peter Reid taking the mickey out of each other. You've got them all giving each other big hugs. 
they, they're so affectionate towards the memory of Howard and what that period in Everton Football Club's history was able to deliver. Uh, and I'll I tell you now, I know, uh, listeners, football supporters, we all think our teams, when they're that successful, have been the best team. But that was the best team. That team could battle, it could fight, but it could play the most gorgeous, beautiful football. And, you know, again, you'll have seen it many times. I'm sure you've watched it back like I have. That Sunderland game where we tore them apart, the pass from Bracewell to Trevor Stephen, Trevor just taking one touch and smashing it into the back of the net. Now, we were seeing that sort of thing every week. It, 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 it didn't even surprise you. You know, when you used to go a goal down in a game, as we did with Bayern Munich, as we did with Luton Town in the semi-final at Philip Park, you never, ever thought you were going to get beat. I think there was 10 seconds left on the clock at Philip Park. <laughs> we're studying the, the, yeah. the, the ground, watching the game. And at no point did I think, oh, we're going out here. And then, of course, she'd stepped up and Betty's a free kick. And it was just that period of time where everything as an Evertonian was perfect. And, and, you know, listen, we don't really want to get into that debate as to whether the Premier League season should be restarted yeah. and so on and so forth. And again, give credit to, to Jurgen Klopp here because I think he came up with a great comment when he said football is the most important to the least important things. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I've been saying to my Liverpoolian mates, uh, when you do have a bit of banter as to whether they'll be robbed of the title or not, and they won't be, by the way. They, they, no, of course not, in the league. Um, but what I do say to them is, look, you know, without wanting to get into the politics of that period, you know how we feel. Because in 1985, Matt, there was nothing more certain than Everton would have been crowned European champions. Mm. We were that far ahead of anything else that would have been in that European Cup the following season. And the final, I think I'm right in saying it was Stoutbuck arrest. Yeah. I mean, they were crap. <laughs> in, comparison, in comparison to what we had on the park. Yeah. And of course, by that time, Howard had added Gary Lineker into the mix. Oh. And, and OK, again, you know, we didn't win anything domestically, but can you imagine Lineker on the European stage in that team? He'd have been the high, he'd have scored about 40 in the European <laughs> So, you know, if you're a Liverpoolian watching this, and you probably, there's probably not many, um, but, you know, th that's why we still harp back to it. It's not because we're bitter. Mm. It's not because we somehow have this fuzzy memory and this sort of fantasy of what might have been. We were on course to win the European Cup. We won the FIFA World Club of the Year. Yeah. That, that team. And it was such a fantastic team. Then, of course, as Evertonians, it broke our heart to see Howard leave. And then, of course, Trevor went, Gary went to Rangers, you know, all that sort of thing. So, you know, listen, we want to be upbeat and positive, uh, but you can't still look back at that period of time and not, unfortunately, have that little bit of regret as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what, mate, I'd love to go through it again and let's oh. hope those times are not too far away. At least, you, at least you've been through it. You know, all, I, all I've known in my adult life watching Everton is, is, is abject disappointment. Um, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but... Uh, Frank, it's been a pleasure, mate. Absolutely uh, love chatting to you. Um, thanks very much for coming on. Be good to get you back on again soon, just for a chat about the toffees when things start up again. Um, hopefully some, yeah. some brighter times on the Carlo Angelotti. Well, I think we're, we're round the corner from it, aren't we? I think, listen again, you know, if a couple of years ago you'd have said to, to you and I, Carlo Angelotti's going to be the manager of Everton Football Club, 
you'd have you'd have won the box. He's football royalty, isn't he? Yeah. And um, you know everything I've seen from that man so far suggests to me uh, that he's an outstanding performer. Uh, and listen, if he can't get it right, then who can? Well, yeah, I'll do yeah. man, yeah. <laughs> I'm really optimistic about, about Ancelotti in the future for Everton. So, fingers crossed, we get back to, to football soon and we start to see Everton win the trophies again. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks very much to, to Frank for coming on. Uh, if you enjoyed this video, give it a like, give it a comment, give it a share on all your social media platforms. Also, do check out the interview they with Kevin Rackliffe yesterday. You've ever seen that. Um, some really interesting stuff from him, mainly on The Sopranos. He loves The Sopranos. So <laughs> yeah. Give it a watch there. I noticed there you've got the wire box set. Is it over your shoulder there, Frank? Yeah, I have. And I, I mean, The Sopranos is, is my favourite. Yeah. But, but The Wire was a great uh, a great show as well. And of course, we're all watching all the any Netflix box set that's on yeah, at the moment. Yeah. We're getting through, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so do check out... Have you found any that have been particularly uh, of your liking? I'm going to start Ozark tonight, and that's meant to be really good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I believe that one's good. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, we're getting through them all, and I'm, yeah. I've even subscribed to the Disney Channel, mate. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going all out for it. Yeah, do a big Star Wars binge over the weekend. <laughs> back to back, aren't you? But uh, yeah, thanks very much to the Frank. That's been Rumor Blue on Friday. Uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.